Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, the winners, losers and political party animals of the year gone by. Do you understand what Nazism is about? Do you understand what the Holocaust was about? I never mentioned the Holocaust. Excuse me. Words have been put into my mouth, Concord. I did not use them. I never uttered that word. Never. And to get people housed, we have to have all hands on deck. We have to produce all forms of housing across the board. Direct bill, affordable, cost rental. That's what we have to do. And it's about time you came up with solutions. It's his view. All the meetings were held in private and this is the very same. He wanted to hide, tried to hide, but he from the people of Ireland. But before we'll be finished with you, the people of Ireland will know what you're trying to do with them. You some cheek to come in here and talk like that without reflecting on your own history and what you sat beside and who you sat beside as decisions were made to destroy this country for generations. That's life. <laughs> <laughs> That's what all the people say. Yeah. <laughs> you're riding high in April. <laughs> it's been a mad year for Irish politics. From lunch in the piglet to Shergar winning Squid Games and everything in between. I'm Kevin Doyle and today we take an irreverent look back on the moments that got us talking as Philip Ryan and Gabby Gattafakecha hand out their political awards of 2021. Today on the Indo Daily we're going to take a look back at the political year that was. A bit of an irreverent look though. It's not going to be one of those boring shows where we talk you through the latest Brexit developments, the Covid ups and downs and everything that has gone on in the Dáil Chamber. But more of a, I suppose, a left field look. And the first category in our awards ceremony is Best Covid Party. Now this was one of the most hotly contested categories when we sat down myself, Gabby and Philip to go through all the awards that we would hand out this year. But we have three nominees and they are Leo Varadkar at the Mighty Hula Festival in September, Boris Johnson and the Downing Street Bash that never happened and Catherine Zappone's Garden Soiree for 50 including Leo Varadkar. And the winner is very clearly uh, and states very clearly that the event was not in breach uh, of the government regulations uh, in place at the time which allowed for outdoor gatherings of over 200 uh, and probably wasn't in breach of the false Ireland guidelines at the time either. Probably wasn't in breach. Um, And that's part of the difficulty. Um, They weren't clear um, and they have changed twice actually since then. Uh, They've changed 35 times uh, since the uh, uh, pandemic began. 
Philip, you were the party pooper that brought the country the scoop of Marion Gate. Do you have any guilt or shame for the fact that you're going around peeping through windows and, and, and spying on people? There was only 50 of them and they were in the garden and it was probably in the guidelines anyway. Well, the rest of us didn't know that we could do it. I would have happily had a garden party for 50 people if I'd known I was allowed to do it. But no one seemed to do it. And most importantly, a lot of restaurants, hotels and pubs didn't know they were allowed to do it. And that's the problem with that. That's why this thing kind of caught the public imagination and caused so much trouble for Leo Radker, whose part, like his, his own standing in his own party has dropped and his, in the opinion polls, the Fine Gael's standing has dropped following this, following that controversy. And, and the reason for it is, is, is it presented, much like the Boris Johnson issue that he's currently going through over the various parties in Downing Street, is that it presents an... Uh, do what we say, we'll do what we want and tell you something to do something different. And us and them mentality, which when you're looking for public solidarity with all these restrictions, isn't just going to go well. Gabby, I suspect we'll get to the whole UN envoy situation later on. But what is it about politicians and their inability to just follow the rules that they are making up for the rest of us? Because, you know, we also had Leo Varadkar mentioned there for the Mighty Hula Festival. Now, he broke no rules there, but it did look bad going over to the UK to a festival while things were being closed down in this country. And the Boris Johnson stuff, I mean, it just seems to be party after party. Yeah, I think when it comes to Irish politicians, I think it's <laughs> I think it's mostly Tanish Dali of Radcliffe that unfortunately falls on his sword when it comes to following the rules. So as you were saying, he had, of course, the bash in Mary in Marion Hotel. And he also went off to London um, on one summer Saturday when on the Monday before he told uh, the live events sector, um, you know, I wouldn't follow the UK's version of reopening and it's it's it's, it's not an example to be followed. Um, again, he didn't break any rules, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it's not a good look for the industry, which has been closed down. I think when it comes to Boris Johnson and the Tories and their big bashes in Downing Street, you know, it's inexcusable on many fronts. And, and we're still seeing the revelations of that uh, transpire across the pond. So, look, it's 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 definitely not a good look. And I think as one political commentator put it over the weekend, it's the beginning of the end for Boris Johnson. Yes, but not necessarily for Leo Varadkar. He seems to have gotten over that particular one, although he has other issues as the year ends. But we didn't even get to mention the piglet, but we have to move on because our next award is the Gone But Not Forgotten Gong. And the nominees are... Kate O'Connell from the Fine Gael Ticket... Owen Murphy from Politics and Mark McSharry from Fianna Fáil. And the winner is... Been, I suppose, a faction, I would, I would feel, within the party, possibly since the leadership mm-hmm. um, campaign, which I had thought was long um, gone out with the tide, um, that have um, planned um, the exit of myself. Gabby, now that dust has settled a little bit on the Dublin Bay South by-election, which of course was won by Labour's Ivana Batchik in the end, despite Sinn Féin being so high in the polls and Fine Gael seeing it as their seat to to take home and to defend, what did all of that mean now that, that, that the dust has settled on it? It was interesting, I think, because Kate... Obviously, the election was triggered by Fine Gael. 
and, 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 you know, Owen Murphy gave this interview to Claire Byrne. He talked about Salem politics. And, you know, he had a, at times really quite a, a very difficult time as a politician, especially when he was housing minister. And then Kate, you know, this by-election is rumbling on and Kate O'Connell kind of comes out and she gives her two cents. And she says, look, well, I had a very hard time in Fine Gael. Um, I think uh, some obviously viewed that the fact that she backed Simon Coveney in his bid for leadership and not Leah Rutgers unforgivable. Um, she spoke about how, you know, she was a woman from Westmeath and I believe somebody gave her uh, a piece of turf once at an event and, and, and the hard times that she had within her own party, which really threw, I mean, it really threw a cast over James Gagans, uh, who was the Fine Gael ca- uh, candidate in the by-election. His entire, you know, campaign was overshadowed by Kate's comments and it really, I think, I think all of his hopes of winning kind of um, disappeared very quickly, which was interesting as well, because then again, of course, Labour goes on to win this by-election. And, you know, Labour has been doing really quite poorly in the polls. But Ivana is so well known in the constituency and that it was an overwhelming win, which was a great day for Labour um, and a bit of heartbreak for Fine Gael. Philip, in a, in a word, Given the row that was there, one of the moments that stood out to me was Kate O'Connell going on radio and questioning when will Leo deliver for Fine Gael, suggesting that he has delivered for lots of people, but not for Fine Gael. In a word, will we see Kate O'Connell on a Fine Gael ticket again? Yes or no? I think if Leo Radker's not there, there's every chance. Um, she's still quite a prominent person in society. She She's regularly on radio, giving her views on various things. She would be popular in her, her own community to some regard. Obviously not popular enough to get elected last time around, but you know, she's there and she's at the forefront of the, the COVID campaign, handing out booster shots and vaccines over the last few years, which is wouldn't do wouldn't do her any harm come next election. But uh, I think it will all depend on whether Leo Bradker is leading the party or not. Okay, moving on to the next category, which is the hotly contested car crash interview of the year. And our first nomination is, unsurprisingly, Stephen Donnelly for almost every interview ever throughout 2021. He is up against Simon Coveney for mansplaining politics to Brian Dobson and Dr. Ronan Lynn for that time when we when apparently the health public health officials never said schools were safe. And the winner is... Just to be clear here, the, all the Fine Gael ministers around the cabinet table were fully aware of this, um, but the Fianna Fáil ministers, including the Taoiseach and the Green ministers, were blindsided. Yeah, sorry, 20 minutes before the cabinet met. So, Brian, don't start trying to create a new story here now. The, the, the issue here is, as is always the case, different parties, ministers meet before the cabinet to go through the agenda, to make sure everything's covered and so on. I had assumed that the Taoiseach and indeed uh, the Green Party were aware of this appointment before Cabinet. And that was a mistake because they hadn't been and the communications hadn't worked as it normally would, presumably because there were so many items on the agenda that we were dealing with. So there was no attempt to hide here. Philip, just how close did Simon Coveney come to either having to resign or be ousted on the back of the Catherine Zappone debacle? I don't think he was ever um, close to, to resignation. There, were, there wasn't really the appetite in Fianna Fáil. Um, obviously, you mentioned the last category there, Mark McSharry. Mark McSharry resigned the party over the whole controversy. Um, but, but that was really it. There was, there was a little bit of rumbling. People weren't happy with his performances, his changing story, his arrogant, very, very arrogant approach to to dealing with the issue to begin with, his uh, dismissive uh, answers to, to Brian Dobson there, the much-loved broadcaster on RTE, and 
uh, but in the reality, I think his position was safe because, you know, there was the, th- the tarnish was dragged into the entire affair. The cabinet as a whole signed off on the the, the appointment in the first instance, including the Taoiseach, who, who raised some form of um, objection, not objections, but some fo- criticisms that he wanted to know a little earlier. But overall, I don't think he was ever going anywhere. It's just his political capital. Um, has been severely damaged and his possibly his image uh, in regard to the public and his own personal voters. That's exactly it though, Gabby, isn't it? The, the, the furore over deleted text messages, which he originally suggested was because he needed the data on his phone and then later it was because he had been previously the uh, he'd been impacted by some sort of a fraud or a hacking incident. It was so messy and it wasn't what we were used to from Simon Coveney, the man that was at the forefront of the Brexit talks and that we were happy enough to send all over Europe um, for negotiations. He's damaged long term, isn't he? Yeah, I think, you know, even his version of the story when it comes to the, the, the deleted text, it was just changing day after day after day. It was space on my phone. I was hacked. You know, none of it was believable and, and you couldn't follow it. Um, I think, of course, an extraordinary move we saw the Tanishta, who who was questioned um, at a press conference if he had, you know, those te- you know, your deputy leaders leave these texts and then uh, with, with, to you about the appointment. So he felt like he had to publish them, which he, of course, did. And that's how we have the piglet texts, which were an incredible milestone, I think, in politics this year to see how um, a current sitting minister communicates with his former ministers and his current colleagues. Um, you know, the way the appointment was mentioned, the you know, this emergence of the piglet, which was just incredible. But yeah, I mean, look, it's it's really put my fa- My favourite bit of the piglet thing was that initially after those messages were released, RTE reported the piglet as a nickname that... Um, they that Leo Varadkar seemed to have for Catherine Sapone and then had to clarify it as being a wine bar a few minutes later, which I think was one of my highlights of the uh, of the year. I have to say. We'll move on to our next award, the Finger on the Pulse Award, and the nominees here are. Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, for standing up for women in politics by taking maternity leave. Bernard Durkin for exposing the unwinnable lotto. And Sinn Féin for answering every question with the words crisis and change. And the winner is... You say the prospect of winning is so remote that punters must be thinking Shergar would have a better chance at winning Squid Game. Well, that's what has been indicated to me uh, in recent weeks because uh, I would have an interest in, in the lottery myself going back to uh, my former colleague, the late Donald Creed, who introduced it. And uh, the basis on which it's, it, it all lotteries stand is the degree to which the public have confidence in it. And there would appear to be uh, a concern from amongst the public at the present time who have related to me their concern that the main prize carried forward a week after week after month uh, would appear to uh, indicate a change in, in, in the, the processing of it. Philip, do you think Bernard Durkin even knows what Squid Game is? <laughs> I'm sure he's an avid watcher of all the latest and newest Netflix shows, Tiger King or whatever else there is going. But uh, you have to give him his credit or whoever was behind <laughs> the press releases and pointing out this fact because as far as impact from the backbenches go, getting the national lotteries to, to look into changing how their system works and introducing what, what we're told is going to be a, a must-win draw 
Like we, we still don't have a, a jackpot winner. And because of uh, Deputy Durkin's very colourful uh, press releases, they, they have been best to do this. Gabby, we have to give, uh, I think, a mention to Helen McEntee in this category because she is back now from maternity leave. But it was really interesting to see the reaction to the fact that she said no. I'm taking six months and you're going to have to, it's not allowed for necessarily in law, but you're going to have to come up with a solution that lets me um, spend some time with my newborn. Yeah, so she was the first cabinet minister to fall pregnant. Um, and so this interesting, I suppose, scenario arose of where, you know, what, what's going to happen when the baby's born? And so, yeah, Minister McEntee, you know, she said, look, I'm going to take my maternity leave. And there was a little bit of a of a quiver where, the government kind of went, how is this going to work? Uh, you know, and it's kind of scrambled. Is she going to have to resign? No, she did not have to resign. Um, Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, took her portfolio under her wing for six months. And uh, I think in fairness, fair, fair juice to her. You know, she had two big portfolios to look after. I do want to give a very quick um, shout out to Sinn Féin and for their finger on their pulse award. I did a very quick Google and search through my inbox when it comes to their mention of words like welcome or um, so it's change and crisis and I think just on a very quick Google I think I got like six results so in fairness to them you know they're, <laughs> they're the party of change and they're the party that's going to solve all the crises so fair play to them Okay we will move on because actually Sinn Féin get a nomination in our next category as well which is the Northern Strife Award the nominees here are Michael D for refusing to go north to the commemoration service, Sinn Féin's doublespeak depending on which side of the border they're on, and the DUP for their leadership battles. And to be honest, there could only be one winner here. That's life. <laughs> That's what all the people say. <laughs> You're riding high in April, shot down in May. That's enough for That was Arlene Foster ending her term as leader of the DUP in what was rather hostile circumstances, Philip, and it didn't get much better for the party. In fact, it has been an absolutely horrible year for the DUP on so many levels. Yeah, look, they're they're really struggling with the the protocol um, and the impact of that and and kind of the... What is fair to say that there has been impacts up there on on business and on supply and things like that, but they also have their base who are worried sick that Northern Ireland Protocol is a precursor to a, a referendum on a united Ireland, <clears throat> and that they have to play into that base. But we, after Arlene Foster went, who, whom everybody thought like you, you might have been given an award for her um, bad handling of situations today as well, but then we've had they've had two leaders since they've. Uh, struggled to to, to to find any sort of level playing field or ground to, to approach the, the Brexit talks reasonably. They've threatened to collapse the, the, the storm of the Assembly. They've had members leave. Uh, it's been a, a bit of a mess for them in recent weeks or recent months. And heading into the new year, things are probably only going to get worse when the, new, the latest Brexit deal is signed off. And of course, they have an election to look forward to. Gabby, Who's the leader of the DUP now? <laughs> Jeffrey Donaldson, in fairness to him, has hung on longer than Edwin Poots, who was there for a very brief period of time. Um, and I think, just on a personal note, my one of my favourite le- uh, moments of the year was when Jeffrey Donaldson came to, in one of his meetings with Micheál Martin, and I think for a brief moment, 
he gave some comment to the media and he was standing in front of a podium that said Government of Ireland, which you don't see very often. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's not get back into that, Michael D. Is he the President of Ireland or the Republic of (laughs) Ireland debate? Our next award is for Best Taoiseach. Now, you would assume in most political years that there could only really be one nomination for this. But no, we have three and we could actually have four or five, really. But the nominees are, as you would expect, Taoiseach, Michal Martin. We also have Tánaiste, Leo Varadkar and Chief Medical Officer, Tony Holohan. The winner is... And suddenly you come over here for a 30 or 40 second engagement, you scamper up, you tell your education correspondent who tweets something and it's reported as fact. It's extraordinary. Anyway, look, we leave it, because I don't think the if public... If you want to call me a liar, I think the call me a liar. I'm just putting it straight now. I've learned things. What's the difference I've learned things now, and, and I'm going to proceed. If you have... Look, I've never... You're not denying very those words. words. I am. Never said those well, words. You're but in any liar. event, never said what you construed no. that I said. But it's a completely... And I I said, I rang you afterwards to make it very clear to you how I regard the interchange. You can't do things like that. Gabby, um, Micheál Martin has had a tough year. This is, he waited so long to be Taoiseach and it seems now with the trajectory of COVID that his entire time up to this time next year when he hands over the reins will be spent dealing with COVID. Yeah, you'd nearly feel for Michal, wouldn't you? I mean, he, he you know, he, all you ever wanted in life was to be Taoiseach and he finally is Taoiseach and all of his leadership is overshadowed by this pandemic and never-ending restrictions. Um, in fairness, I think, you know, I think he's gotten better as, as time has gone on. In fairness to him, you know, when he's challenged, sometimes he doesn't really take the bait, but when he gets annoyed, his his cork comes through and his and his inner teacher also comes through. And I think that was visible in the route that he had with Alan Kelly in the doll. Um when Alan I suppose accused him of, of do, telling him one thing, telling him I think there was the teachers do not have to the, the, restrict their movements if they were close contact. And then Miho Martin coming out and saying, no, I didn't tell him that. That's that's not the case. And they had a big showdown in the doll. You know, I think he's been in a very difficult position. He's had many tough calls to make um, and and he's done his best in fairness to the Tanish, the Leo Varadkar. Uh, you know, he's the one that's very blunt. He'll say his opinion. He'll he'll get all the headlines. Um, and, and Tony Holohan has been, I think, the best secret T-shirt, if, if anything. I mean, he's definitely it's been... It's not that big of a secret. It's not a secret, <laughs> but, you know, he, I think really we have the official T-shirt and then Tony Holohan is really probably the real T-shirt in many respects. The way you're looking at uh, uh, Neil Martin's tenure as well, though, is that the COVID has been a great distraction from everything else and he hasn't mm. really had to deal with and take on other substantive issues. Well, it has certainly, Philip, it has it has certainly muted some of the leadership talk in the party because you can't have a heave or, or a plot going on full throttle in the middle of a pandemic um, that we're dealing with. Michal did an interview with Brendan O'Connor in the last few days and he was asked what was going to happen this time next year, Philip, when he has to hand over the keys of the Taoiseach's office to, to Leo Varadkar again. And his reply was very blunt in a very Cork accent, which was, I'll be Tánaiste. Will he be Tánaiste? I think he will. And I think more and more, when you look at the party, when you look at uh, where the rebellion is going to come from, I, I just don't see where it is. I don't see where the numbers are. I see... Um, a lot of the party getting behind Michal because the support is growing kind of incrementally. His own uh, positioning in society or in, amongst the electorate is, um, is in, has been enhanced. 
he is um it's that idea as well people just get used to leaders you know like you, you see him every day at first there's a bit of a change they don't seem like the last guy or last girl and he's kind of got his feet under the table now and has settled in and it is really hard to see it'll have to be a bloody coup if they're going to get rid of him someone will have to put down a motion of no confidence have the numbers to do that and then have the support of the party internally to, to, to oust them. And at present, no one seems to be doing that, actively collecting the names. One man was, that was Martin Cherry. He's gone. <laughs> so it's really hard to see see where this coup comes from. Well, we'll, we'll we, we can come back and have another podcast this time next year and, and see what has happened. But I want to finish up by a little bit of freestyling and I want to give both of you who have spent the last 12 months around Leinster House, around all those government briefings, around Neffet, who are, are, are a big part of your lives now as well. Who would you give a genuine nod to Gabby, who's had a good year or the, a highlight politically? Um, we want to try and finish on a, a mildly optimistic note. Yeah, I think uh, my nod this year is probably not a very obvious choice. You know, I was thinking of people like Mary Lou MacDonald, who, of course, has seen her party skyrocket in the polls. Ivana Bacic, of course, won the Dublin Bay South by-election, you know, overwhelmingly. But I think when I look at the cabinet and I look at who's actually, you know, kind of kept chipping away. COVID was, wasn't always their main concern. I think it's been Roderick O'Gorman. I think he's done really well this year. He's a first-time TD. He's a first-time minister. He's brought out his white paper to end direct provision. Um, he's also... Has now, he not made a mess of the mother and baby home situation? Look, I think he was put in an impossible situation where he overtook this portfolio that was going to have a lot of legacy issues and there was always going to be problems there. And with the redress scheme, the biggest criticism was that, you know, if I was in a mother and baby home for less than six months, why can't I get redress he came out on the radio and he said you know i'm sorry i, I you know it, it, it's not right that that's the way it is there was always going to be glitches and snags but i think in fairness to him he's done his best to engage with everybody he's he's shown compassion many times and he's been quite you know he's shown humility as well um he's, he's brought out his white paper to end direct provision as per the party line he's also now trying to get cheaper childcare uh for parents so I think in fairness to him, on on the basis of everything, um, he's kept chipping away in the background. And I think I think he's done a good job. OK, I expected Philip to be the controversial one on this. But Philip, who do you give your nod to? Well, I just think it has been the year of the woman or women in politics across the board. When you look at the, the, um, within cabinets, like you have uh, you have Helen McEntee, who you mentioned earlier, who has been um, quite um kind of landmark decision to take that maternity leave. She's also done a lot around um, giving the, the undocumented citizenship. She's overseen the Department of uh, Justice without much uh, hassle. And again, Heather, our Heather Humphreys, Social Protection Minister, has overseen uh, this massive, massive um, payment of social welfare through the pandemic unemployment, took on the Department of Justice and did quite a, well, a good job as well. And, and, and tied into that as well, you have Holly Cairns of the Social Democrats who stepped forward and gave a pairing to, to Helen McEntee during, uh, when, she, when she had to take some time off. And then, of course, like you have Mary Lou MacDonald, who's, um, despite all the flaws and the, her party's strange obsession with murder and mayhem they, uh, of the past, that she has uh, managed to increase her popularity to unprecedented levels. So I think it, it has to be given to the just the, the impact of, of women in, in Irish politics this year has been huge and possibly some of the men could learn a lesson from it. But it is worth noting, Philip, as you make that point, that there are very few women among the grey suits that we see making the big COVID decisions. 
um, that's very every true, couple yeah. of weeks. Mm. And at the, even at those uh, cabinet subcommittee uh, meetings, there's, there's very few women as well. But I just think it, it has been noticeable this year that the, the women in Irish politics have managed to succeed far better than the men. They, they haven't gotten in, engulfed in controversies. You know, it, it, it is more that they've been the steady hand on the tiller. On the, and and it, it's something that, sh- that should be considered. And I think it will be when, when future cabinets are being decided and, and leadership positions are being given. Well, let's wrap it up on that optimistic note as Philip gives his nod to the political women of Ireland as having a good year in what has been a very tough and often bad year for politics. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recording by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by John Smith. The archive clips were from Virgin Media News, Clareburn Live, Today with Clareburn, Aroctus News, RTE News at One, the RTE 61 News and Sky News. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.